You're listening to the Veritas Podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. We're helping move the hearts and minds of more college students to believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, find us on social media at Veritas Como. We hope you're encouraged by this message. those of you who don't know me, my name is Patrick Miller. I am one of the pastors here at Veritas. Uh, but I became a Christian to have Veritas at the Crossing. I became a Christian at Veritas my freshman year of college. It was the year that Veritas started, 2006, which I realize probably dates me a little bit. But my uh, beginning career in ministry, my coming to know Jesus very much so happened in this community just a little over a decade ago. And so I love Veritas and I love what God's doing. Here. Now, here's the deal. I'm not here this morning to do something flashy. I don't have any big goals. I have one single goal, one single thing that I care about, and it is this. I want you to walk out of tonight, and I want you to begin to build a habit of reading the Bible every single day that rest, that lasts for the rest of your life. That's all I want. I want to help you walk out and do that because I think if you walk out and you do that one thing, it will change who you are and the entire scope and the entire trajectory of who you become. Now, you might think I'm going to sit up here and I'm going to tell you, hey, like, you need, to, you need to buck up. You need to discipline yourself. You need to make a resolution. But that's not what I'm here to say at all because here's the thing. Resolutions, you know how they go. They never work out. You know, New Year's resolutions, you say you're going to eat better, you say you're going to exercise more. How's it go for you? How long do you last? I know it doesn't work for me, at least. A few years ago, I decided I was going to do the whole 30, uh, which is basically 30 days without everything good. And, you know, so I get going on this, and I read online, and they say, okay, you got to be disciplined, all right? So the first week is the hardest week, so just discipline your way through it. And so I discipline my way through it. But then I get to the second week, and that's supposed to be the easier week. It was not the easier week. It's even harder for me. I'm 14 days in, and then day 15 hits. I was actually coming back from a winter retreat with Veritas with some of the staff members, and we had this tradition of stopping at Lion's Choice. Who here has been to Lion's Choice? Show of hands. What's the best thing at Lion's Choice? The ice cream. I don't know who said it, but you're right. These tiny little dip cones were like a buck, okay? And here's the deal. If you have not eaten sweets, at least if you're me and you haven't eaten anything sweet for 15 days and you see an ice cream, you, you have not seen an ice cream cone until you've gone 15 days without sugar. And so all my friends, they're just, you know, incredibly unkind. They're eating their ice cream right in front of me. And on that moment, I decided I'm going to do the whole 15. And I went up there. I got that ice cream. It was amazing. It was amazing, okay? Now, the problem wasn't that I lacked discipline. I'm a decently disciplined person. I mean, maybe I lacked a little bit of discipline. But I think the problem was more fundamental than that. The problem was that I lacked a why. I didn't have any reason to do the whole 30. At the time, I was healthy. I didn't really need to lose weight or anything like that. I was just doing it because other people around me were doing it, and it kind of sounded like a good thing to do. You see, even the most disciplined person in the world, they won't accomplish their goals if they don't have a why. If they don't have a why. Even the most disciplined person in the world isn't going to spend time in the Bible if they don't have a why. In fact, I want to press it one step further. You don't just need a why, you need a hunger, right? 
you need a hunger. You see, most of us, we don't have to discipline ourselves to eat, right? Like, we don't have to discipline ourselves to get up and eat breakfast and lunch or whatever else. We just do it, right? Because we get hungry and we know that we want to eat. And so, of course, we're going to eat. If you're like me, you eat too much food. You have the exact opposite problem. You don't need discipline. You need a hunger. The most voracious Bible readers that I know have this in common. They have a hunger for the Bible. The prophet Jeremiah He got hungry once, and it led to one of the stranger verses in the Bible. He said this, your words were found, and I ate them. What's that mean? Okay, your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Now, what's he talking about? Because prophets were known back then to actually literally eat the scrolls that they were writing. But I don't think that's what Jeremiah was talking about. Jeremiah was saying, I realized that In my life, I I had this deep down hunger, this deep down hunger. And then all of a sudden, I made this amazing discovery. And it was this, that your word was the only thing. Jesus, your word was the only thing that could feed that deep down hunger in my soul. And I found it. And your words became to me a joy and a delight. Do you have a why? Why you want to read the Bible? Most Christians I know say, I want to read the Bible. That's not the question. Do you know why? Do you have a hunger for the Bible? This makes me think about a friend of mine. His name was uh, Wilson. And Wilson graduated from college. He's in a place a lot of you are about to be in maybe a year. And when he graduated, he had it all together. Wilson was a college athlete. He was an attractive guy. He had just gotten married. He was moving to Columbia with his new wife where he had an exciting new job, very high-paying job, very high-caliber job. Everything was going right for Wilson. At the time, him and his wife would have called themselves Christians, but it didn't really mean a lot in their lives. You know, they they weren't really going to church. It it was just kind of a cultural thing, like, yeah, I guess we're Christians. Uh, That's us. And so everything's growing great. Everything's awesome. He doesn't need God until all of a sudden he does. When about three months into being here in Columbia, his marriage started to fall apart. After he got married, all these things started coming up out of Wilson's heart that he'd never really seen before. Things he'd never witnessed before. And those things, it was jealousy, it was frustration. And him and his wife, they started fighting more and more and more and more. And after three months, just three months, Wilson, the perfect guy, the guy who has it all together, his wife leaves him. Three months in, his wife leaves him. And he was devastated. He was ashamed. He knows I'm going to have to go back to my family and explain to them why my marriage fell apart. He's going to have to tell his friends what happened. He's depressed. He's lonely. He's alone in a new city where he does not know anyone And so he reached out to me, I guess because I'm a pastor, and we got together, and he told me, Patrick, I want to put my marriage back together. I want to figure things out. And I've realized that I've kind of had God out of my life, and I I guess I need God back in my life because maybe that's what's going on. And I looked at him, and I said, I want you to know this. It does not matter what you have done in your past. God accepts you. God loves you. God forgives you. And he will always forgive you, and he will always welcome you back. But I cannot make any promises about your marriage. I don't know what's going to happen to your marriage. In fact, I'm going to go one step further. God isn't a vending machine. He doesn't make trades. You don't give him stuff and then get stuff in return. So if you're coming here to me saying, I want to get right with God so they can get my marriage back together, let's just stop the conversation because it's not going to go anywhere. Why don't you go home and think about that? So he goes home for a week. 
he comes back. We have lunch again. I said, tell me what you're thinking. And he goes, I heard what you said, and you were right. I was coming with you. I wanted to treat God like a vending machine. But the more I think about it, I'm realizing, yes, of course I want my marriage to get fixed. But that's not the thing that really matters. I want my relationship with God to be right again. I'm beginning to realize that's why this whole thing with my wife happened in the first place, because I was distant from him. I want God. I want Jesus back in my life. That's the thing I want the most. And whatever else happens after that, it doesn't matter. And I said, Wilson, that's awesome. That's great. You need to start spending time with God. You need to start letting him talk to you in your loneliness and your depression and your shame over this whole thing that you're experiencing right now. And he goes, well, how do I do that? And I said, I can tell you how. This is it. You read the Bible. Because Jesus is nowhere more present, nowhere more powerful, nowhere more gracious and loving and forgiving and right there with you than in that book. So he went home. And two weeks later, we got back together for lunch again. And I asked him, how'd it go? How'd the Bible reading go for you, Wilson? And he looks at me and he goes, I read it. I'm like, okay, great, what'd you read? And he goes, no, man, like, I read it. Like, like, like you read it? He goes, yeah, I read the whole thing cover to cover in two weeks. Anyone in here read the Bible in two weeks? Yeah, I'm going to put my hand down too. I don't know if that's going to happen, but you know what Wilson told me? He said, I, I, I believed you. Every time I felt ashamed, I went into the Bible and I met with Jesus. Every time I felt depressed, I went into the Bible and I met with Jesus. Every time I started feeling that anxiety, I went into the Bible and I met with Jesus. Every time he felt anything, he was going back to the Bible and he went back so many times that he read the whole thing in two weeks. And I don't know if I'll ever read the Bible in two weeks. But maybe I would if I got what Wilson got. You see, Wilson was hungry. He wasn't reading the Bible because he was disciplined. He was reading the Bible because he was desperate. He was reading the Bible because he knew, I have this hunger and there's nothing that feeds me like Jesus. And he's right here in this book and I need it. You see, Wilson, he understood this verse. He said, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Are you hungry? See, some of you right now, you're right where Wilson is. I mean, I, I don't think many of you have been married and gone through a divorce. It's not what I'm trying to say, but I think you're right where Wilson is. Maybe you've gone through a bad breakup and you are hungry. You know that your heart has this hole in it and you know that you're hungry for something. Or maybe you've lost something that you desperately love. Or maybe you're just feeling constantly overwhelmed and anxious. Or maybe you're worried about your future, your future job, the future internship. Maybe you're worried about your singleness. I don't know what it is, but you know deep down I feel hungry. I know I need something. You need Jesus. And you will not meet Jesus anywhere else in any more profound way than you will meet him right there in that book that he's given you. Look at his words. Find those words. Eat them. Some of us, though, we've been hungry for so long. We've starved ourselves from God's word for so long that we don't even realize that we're hungry anymore, right? We're like a starved child who doesn't even know what food is anymore. We don't even realize that we're hungry. And maybe on one level, it's because we were uh, like Wilson before his marriage fell apart. You know, maybe life's going well for you. You're well-liked, you have friends, you're getting good grades, opportunities are turning up. Hey, things are going decently well for me. But I don't care how well things are going for you. There are always blips, these little moments that pop up in your life where you realize, if you'll listen to it, where you realize that you're hungry too, right? 
you realize that you're hungry too. Maybe it happens every day when you just find yourself mindlessly swiping up on your phone and you're just reading and reading or you're social media and social media, you're just going nonstop and you don't even know, like, what am I doing? Why am I spending all this time? Why do I need to be entertained? Why am I so afraid of being bored and alone with myself? Maybe it's because you know deep down that if you allowed yourself to stop being entertained and you got bored for just one second, you would see something inside of yourself that you don't want to see, that deep down hunger for something more, that this just numbs. Or maybe it's on the weekends, right? You don't want to go off and get drunk and party, and yet you find yourself doing it again and again and again, and that's the blip. You see, it's not about getting drunk. It's not because you love getting drunk. It's not because you love getting high. That's not the thing. The thing is you have to numb something. You are medicating something in your life, something in your heart, some deep down hunger, some deep down hunger that you have. You know you have it. And you're trying to fill it up with alcohol. Well, that cup is not going to get filled up with wine. There is only one thing that can fill you. And that one thing is Jesus. Do you have a hunger? You do. I know you do. But do you know what the hunger is? Can you find it right now in your heart? Yes, that's a spot where this is hurting. And I know that's where I'm hungry. Can you find the hunger in your life? Let me help you find your hunger. Do you want energy? At the end of a long and tiring day, Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord, the word of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. You want energy? Read this book. Meet with Jesus there. Or maybe you want guidance. You want to know, what do I do next? What's the next step in my life? The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The, com the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. If you want your eyes to be enlightened, if you want to see the path that's opening up before you, read this book. Don't you have a hunger for that? Do you want joy? Are you done with the negativity and the cynicism and this overwhelming blanket of just darkness and bad feelings? Well, guess what? The precepts are, the, are right. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. It'll rejoice your heart. It'll fill you up with joy. Do you want justice in this world? Well, let me tell you what. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous. That's just. That's the Hebrew word just. They are just altogether. If that's what you want, look at this word. Read this word. That's where you will find truth. That's where you will find justice. That's where you will find the purpose that your heart is longing for. Psalm 19 continues, more to be desired are they, God's words, than gold, even fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Here's the point. Read this book because it is better than the best steak you've ever ate. It is better than the finest wine you've ever drank because you're over the age of 21, okay? No, it is better than any food you have ever experienced in your life. That's what this word is. Do you feel the hunger? It is more valuable than Mark Zuckerberg's investment portfolio. It is more valuable than all of Elon Musk's shares in SpaceX. That's what this word is. Do you realize you have it? It's sitting somewhere collecting dust on the shelf, and yet it is full of value. Do you know how hungry you really are? This is the only thing that will feed you. Discipline isn't what you need. What you need is a why. What you need is a hunger. Eat this word. Digest this word. Do it until it just gets into your atoms, until it gets to such a granular level that it's enveloping you. It becomes you. Eat this word and it will change your life. If you want to read God's word, you need a why. Do you have a why? Do you have a hunger? 
But you don't just need a why. You need a when, right? Because you have to have time to do this stuff. And I talk to a lot of Christians, and they'll tell me the same thing. They'll be like, look, I want to read the Bible. The problem is I just, I get so busy. My schedule gets so full. I just don't have the time. I, I, I can't make the time in my life. It kind of makes me think of this thing that I read recently. Um, I, I, I like to consider myself a reader. I always want to read more books. And so I was surfing the internet, and I, I came across this blog. And the blog's headline was something like, The Secret to Reading 200 Books in a Year. And because I'm a sucker, I click the clickbait, and I get into this article. And the article makes some interesting points, okay? It says that the average book is 50,000 words. Now, 50,000 times 200 is 10 million words. Divide 10 million by the average American's reading speed, and it would take you about 515 hours to read 200 books in a year. Okay, so anybody got to spare 515 hours? No, not really. Is this going to help you? That's where things get really interesting because he went on and he made this point. The average American spends 1,642 hours watching TV every year. Just so you know, you're probably not on the low end of that average. 819 hours looking at your phone, 608 hours on social media. These are generous numbers, okay? And yet, so, so here's, here's the point. You want to read, read 200 books, you have the time, right? All you have to do is watch half as much TV. All you have to do is watch uh, about 60% as much time on your phone. All you have to do is just give up social media and you will have time to read 200 books. So it's not a time problem. I mean, he made the point, right? The issue isn't that I don't have time to read 200 books. The problem is I don't want to make it a priority. I would rather watch TV, spend time looking at my phone, be on social media. That's my priority. Now let's just take the Bible for a second. If you wanted to read the Bible 15 minutes a day, every day in a year, it would take you about 65 hours. 65 hours. So just to be clear, if you want to tell me, I don't have time to read the Bible, all you have to do is watch 4% less TV. All you have to do is spend 8% less time on your phone. All you have to do is spend 10% less time on social media. That's all that you have to give up. So if you're telling yourself this thing, I'm just busy, it's hard for me to get into my schedule, it's not true. It's not reality. You see, we don't have a scheduling problem. Don't go out and buy a planner or get a new calendar app. That's not going to help you read your Bible. That's not the problem. You have a priority problem. Deep down, the priority is this. I would rather spend that 4% of my time on TV than in your word, God. I'd rather spend that time on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube, wherever I'm spending. I'd rather spend my time on that, God. I'd rather spend time looking on my phone, God, than spending time with you, than feeding my soul's deep down hunger. You see, it's not a scheduling problem. It's a priority problem. It's not just a priority problem. It's a self-deception problem. And it's a self-deception problem because of this. We buy our lie. We buy the lie that says, I'm too busy to read the Bible. We actually trick ourselves into believing that's true. Don't buy the lie. Whatever you do, don't go telling people, I don't have time to read the Bible. That's a lie. Just be honest. I haven't made it a priority in my life. Uh, Chance the Rapper, he's a professing Christian. And a few years ago, he went on a sabbatical. And this is what he wrote. I just love this. It was so honest. This is what he said. He said, I'm going away to learn the word of God 
which I am admittedly very unfamiliar with. I mean, just, let's just pause. Like the humility there. You know, we all want to pretend like we're experts in everything. And he's like, look, I want to know God's word. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know it that well. And that might be where you're at right now. There's no shame in that, right? Just be honest. And he goes on. He says, we all quote scripture and tell each other what God likes and doesn't like. I mean, guilty. <laughs> but how much time do we spend as followers of Jesus to really just read and know his word? How much time are we really spending? He says, I'm definitely guilty of not devoting enough time to it. His honesty is so refreshing, isn't it? Here's Chance the Rapper. He's a Grammy award-winning rapper. He's touring the world. He's, he's, he's creating albums. I mean, this guy's busier than anybody in this room. And he doesn't say, I've just been too busy to get into God's word. He's honest. He just says, I haven't prioritized it. And I think that's the next step. If you want to find a when, don't try to schedule. That's not the main goal. The main thing is just to get honest before God. Close up shop on the self-deception and say to Jesus, Jesus, I confess. I confess the truth that when it comes to my priorities, when it comes to my priorities, I don't want to put you first. I want to put my phone first. I want to put entertainment first. I want to numb all the feelings. These are the things that I want to put first, Jesus. Jesus is forgiving. He is kind. He is loving. This isn't about shaming yourself. It's just about being honest. And I'm going to tell you the truth. Even if you read the Bible for the rest of your life, you will have to repeat that prayer over and over again because you will never be perfect. There will always be weeks or months that pass where all of a sudden you haven't spent time with Jesus and his word. And you come back and you say, Jesus, it's not that I've been too busy. Jesus, I am sorry that I have put meaningless things in front of you, worthless things in front of you. I've put them all in front of you. Jesus, I'm sorry. Would you help me? Would you help me to make you a priority again in my life? You need to find your hunger if you want to read the Bible. You need to find your when, which means closing shop on the self-deceptions. And you need to know how. I don't want to spend a lot of time on how because there's plenty of stuff on the internet. How do I read my Bible? But I want to tell you three quick things. The first one is this. Don't be ambitious. I'll talk to people about reading the Bible, and they'll be like, yeah, I'm going to do it, okay? I'm going to spend 60 minutes every day reading my Bible. I'm like, whoa, slow down, okay? That is a lot of time. How about 10 minutes? What if you just said that? I just want to spend 10 minutes. I'm going to set a timer and put, put my phone away so I'm not distracted. I'm just going to spend 10 minutes in the Bible. Timer's up. I'm done, okay? Just 10 minutes. The second thing is this. I'd encourage you to pick up the Gospel of John. Sometimes you're like, where do I start, right? Do I start in Genesis? Like, I don't even know where to go. Start with the Gospel of John. In the Bible, there are four biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Luke, uh, Mark, and John. And Mark is the shortest gospel, so hey, you can get through it really quick. But also, it's kind of the most punchy gospel. It's the most interesting gospel. It's all these stories happening one after another after another. So start with the gospel of Mark. Don't say, I'm going to read a chapter today, 10 minutes in the gospel of Mark every day. But the third thing you have to do is this. You just need to set reasonable expectations. See, sometimes I think when we start reading our Bible, we start expecting something magical to happen. Like I'm going to open up the book and the little God fairy is going to come out and going to tell me magical things for my day. And that might be your experience, but you're probably doing drugs. Like that's not what normally happens to the rest of us. Now here's the thing. The Bible isn't magical. The Bible is relational. And think about how relationships work, right? When you're dating someone, of course, like initially there's fireworks and excitement. And you're like, ooh, you know, but then over time, it becomes very normal, right? Because that's how relationships work. Relationships, sometimes they're exciting, but for the most part, they're kind of boring. They're just kind of normal. They're just kind of ordinary, but it's a cumulative effect, 
that happens over time as you get to know someone better and better and better and better. And that's what makes the relationship real. That's what makes the relationship deep. That's what makes the relationship transformational. And that's your expectation. You're just opening up this word. It's breakfast, right? Most days you have toast. Every now and then you have an amazing meal. Just expect toast most days, though, and that's good. God will change you through toast, okay? So three things, 10 minutes, gospel of Mark. Just set a good expectation. Set a good expectation. You need to find your hunger. You need to find your when. Stop the, the lying. <laughs> you need to know how. The last thing you need is this. You need a what if. A what if is a way of saying, what would happen in my life or in my community if I became the kind of person who spent the rest of my life reading the Bible? How would that change you? Who do you think you're going to be in 10 years? Who's that person going to be if you spent that 10 years reading the Bible every day or if you spent that 10 years distant from God? Which one do you want to be? What if? One of my favorite passages that describes a life soaked in the word is Psalm 1. It says this, blessed Happy is the one whose delight is in the instruction of the Lord and who meditates on his instruction day and night. It goes on. This is a metaphor, a picture. It says, that person, what are they like? Well, they're like a tree and they're planted by a stream of water which yields fruit in its season and whose leaves, they don't wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now, maybe when you read this, what you think it's saying is that, hey, if you read your Bible, you're going to be a fruitful person, right? Like you're going to have like good works in your life. Or you're going to become holier. And of course that's true. But it kind of misses the point of what the original audience would have heard. You see, back in the day when Psalm 1 was written, people lived hand-to-mouth existence. They lived in subsistence economy. So what that means is they went 60 days a year hungry. Can you imagine that? 60 days a year you don't have anything to eat. That's the world that they lived in. And that's why having a tree which never withered, which always had fruit on it, was an enormous gift. Because when the community was going hungry, if you had that tree, the community wouldn't starve. The community could eat the fruit from that tree. And that's what reading the Bible will do to you. It will transform you into the kind of person who brings life to your community. It will transform you to the kind of person when everybody else is starving, you have something to offer. You have something to give. If you want to make a difference in the world, if you want to have an impact, there is nothing more important that you can do than read this book. I have a few friends, Josh and Brittany, a few years ago, they were contemplating fostering children. Now, if you've never fostered children, and most of you, I guess, have never fostered children, it's incredibly challenging, right? You are waking up in the middle of the night, and in many cases, you have as many as eight or nine children who are living with you. You're cooking food for them every day. You still have to work every day. You're taking care of them. You're meeting their emotional needs, their physical needs. You are doing everything. I mean, can you imagine that? Eight or nine mouths that are relying upon you every single day. And now, as you can think, they went back and forth on whether or not they wanted to foster. <laughs> they didn't know. And they, they started reading God's word. And the more they read God's word, the more they heard God calling them, you need to foster. You need to foster. You need to foster. See, that word, it unraveled their selfishness. It unraveled their hearts such that they knew what God was calling them to do. And so they did it. And they spent years now fostering so many children, probably about 100 children at this point that have come in and out of their houses. And it all started with God's word, transforming them into this tree that was going to give fruit and life to their community. How would Mizzou change if this room was full of people who were full of God's word? 
What would you have to offer? How would this room change? How would the campus change? How would the people around you change if you just weren't another college person walking around and I go to church on Sunday and, you know, I go to Veritas on Tuesday, but you are full of God's word. And so you have love for those who are not loved. You have compassion for those who no one shows compassion to. You have grace and generosity and kindness towards those who are forgotten and neglected. That's what his word can do to you. When I was in college and I became a Christian when I was 19, I was lucky to have people around me who challenged me to spend time in the Word. And so a practice that I got into in my life is there's this little chapel right by Memorial Union, AP Green Chapel. Some of you guys have probably seen it before. Maybe you've popped in there before. I think it's still there. And I, I would go in there every single day, and there's pews in there. And so it's kind of got like an old churchy feel, but I would, there's pews in there. And I would go, and I would read my Bible. And I'd spend time in prayer, and then I'd go to class. And this just became a rhythm in my life. And AP Green Chapel, it became like this sacred place for me because it was a place where I didn't just go alone. Friends started coming there. Small groups started meeting there. Sometimes we had little worship services there. And I'll never forget there was this time period where, where me and these friends, we were reading the Bible together. We were letting it turn us into these trees that had something to offer the people around us. And, and what we were doing, though, is we were gathering together to read his word and to pray. And this is what we prayed for. We prayed for renewal. We prayed for revival. We wanted to see a movement of God's spirit on Mizzou's campus. And we prayed for it day after day after day with God's word leading us day after day after day. Please change this campus. And we knew this. It probably wasn't going to happen in our generation. That's not how renewal works. You have people who pray and then you have people who come afterwards. We knew it wasn't going to happen in our generation and yet we prayed and we prayed and it's wild for me because now I'm looking out at this room full of people who are literally from a different generation. I'm a millennial. You are all Gen Z. And I look out and I wonder, are you the answers to those prayers? It wasn't just me. There have been people before me and after me and so many others who read this word and said, please bring renewal, bring revival, transform people. I would propose to you that if you want to be the answer to that prayer, you have to get into this word. I saw a slide as I was walking in. It said impact, and it was a class that was being offered for people who want to serve here in Veritas. And I looked at that, and I said, yes, that is it. That's what God's word does for you. When you study God's word together, it lets you make an impact on your community. If you don't have things going on, I can't imagine why you wouldn't sign up for a class like that. If you don't have things going on, I can't imagine why you wouldn't get into this book that's going to fill up your heart and fill up all of your hunger, and it's going to satisfy you as you meet with Jesus. You have the time, set up shop to change it. Say, I'm not going to do the, the lies, the self-deception. How would Mizzou change if you, if your friend sitting next to you, if your small group said, we're going to read this word, we're going to become trees of life to everybody around us. We're going to make an impact on this community together for Jesus that so desperately needs Jesus. There are going to be people who tell you that because you are Gen Z, that you're lazy, that you're selfish, that you're self-focused, that you're worthless. Don't believe a lick of it. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your generation. And I think he can work through you to change the lives of people on your campus right now. Let's pray together as the worship team comes back up. Jesus, I just lift up everybody in this room to you. I am 100% absolutely positive that you want to meet with every person in this room tomorrow morning. You have an appointment set for each one of them. I just pray that they would show up for the appointment. 
they'd open up the Gospel of Mark, and maybe it's just toast. Maybe it's nothing special, but they wouldn't forget, you set the appointment. You're going to be there. You're going to sit next to them. You will be with them in their shame. You will be with them in their hurt. You will be with them in their pain. You will be with them in their anxiety. You will be with them exactly and absolutely where they are. Jesus, I pray that you would give everybody in this room, they don't need discipline, they need hunger. Make them hungry. Make their stomachs ache so that they would find your word. They would find your word and they would fill up with it and they would find the joy and they would be transformed into powerful, life-giving people who can change Mizzou's campus. I pray that they would be the answered prayers of people who came before them. Jesus, I give them up to you. I lay them in your hands. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, make sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow us on social media at Veritas Como. Thanks again for listening.